0: Our scripture this morning, Luann read a few moments ago, comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It is the Epiphany Sunday scripture, and there's a reason for that. The word epiphany is such a fascinating, uh, historic word. It's something that some of us who grew up in traditions that never really understood or utilized the season of Advent or Lent or Epiphany, some of us maybe need a a quick reminder of how over the centuries this movement of the seasons from Advent, Epiphany, to Lent has really offered a sense of richness and a purposeful movement through the year. Epiphany, the word simply means to To Open up to be made manifest to have an aha moment for the light to shine to see the light All these are a part of the idea of Epiphany some of you have maybe even used that word. I had an epiphany yesterday. What did you mean? Well, you saw something new you you had reconfigured in your mind all of a sudden a new way of seeing What was around you? I had an epiphany This is Epiphany Sunday. It is the day where we pause for a moment and recognize this fascinating group of people in a faraway place we call the Magi who saw something had changed in the universe. God was doing something new and they had the wisdom to respond and move in the direction of Jesus. This stands as our lesson for Epiphany Sunday. But there's much more going on here. As you can imagine in the the depth and breadth of scripture, we studied two weeks ago, the first chapter of Matthew, what precedes our story for today. And we did some deep research. We reminded ourselves of what some have said in the past is this sort of boring list of names known as the genealogy. And if you were here with us two weeks ago, hopefully you realized the real fascinating way Matthew very intentionally weaves into that list of what ordinarily would be kind of a a boring list of names becomes instead a subversive reminder of Jesus' lineage. Why? Because woven into that deftly are five women Tamar Rahab Ruth Bathsheba Mary and we said with each of those names comes a a poignant and vital history gaining new insight into where Jesus comes from what Jesus is connected to not only going back to Abraham and Proving in Matthew's agenda that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but more than that Jesus comes from a family very much like, listen carefully, yours and mine. Broken, hurting, wounded, outcast. With each of these women's names, there is a whole history of hurt and pain and and being kicked out and being left behind. It is very intentional in Matthew's inclusion of these names to say, if you think your family's messed up, if you think you've got dysfunction and all kinds of messiness, welcome to the family of God. We are all in this together because this is exactly where Jesus comes from. The hurting, the broken, which I guarantee you is why Jesus was so intentional in his ministry in including Everybody the most outcast the least wanted Jesus was very intentional because I'm sure Jesus knew what it felt like This precedes our passage for today this stands as sort of the bedrock on which this story in the second chapter now emerges and this story for today begins with these very important words in the time of King Herod. Now, if you're like me, over the years, you've probably heard that and skimmed right by it because it's just a part of a scripture many of us have heard all of our lives. For Matthew and for the the Bible in general, this is a, a vital historic marker. It's the way people in that time and place put things in historical perspective. It's like when we say, in 1986, January 4th, my life changed forever because I married my wife, and everything else was extraordinarily good. You see how I'm working this up? This was my anniversary yesterday, so I'm trying to make this really special. My beautiful wife has been putting up with me for 34 years as of yesterday. So this (laughs) was… She just said, you know I don't like to be mentioned in the sermon. So for 34 years she's been telling me that and I forgot. Historical markers are so important in the Bible, and everybody knew when they heard this phrase in the time of King Herod. Now think about this. This wasn't just for a few people in the time of King Herod. This was for the whole Mediterranean world that would have been hearing this good news about the birth of Jesus. It was understood that everyone knew what that meant in the time of King Herod, because Herod was extraordinarily well known. He had all kinds of connections. He did all kinds of impressive things. He also was scary. We're gonna take a quick tour of one of the things that Herod was famous for, but one of the things that often we don't know about was the fact, speaking of marriage, Herod was married to 10 different women Nine of them simultaneously. That's not why he was called the great, but I have great admiration for him. Well, anyway. So he had this amazing spectrum of ruling the people of Israel. 33 years he was king of the Jewish people. He was called King of the Jews. He was very protective of that. He also was very paranoid. One of the things that he was known for was his building prowess. And in this little place called Caesarea, the archaeological remains that many, some of you have seen before, some of you will be seeing soon, On the coast of Israel, Herod realized if he was going to be significant as a king, if the people of Palestine were going to be significant as a group of people within the Roman Empire, they needed a viable seaport. So from the ground up, Herod had this Caesarea seaport built. And crowning that seaport was his palace. Now what we're looking at in this slide is a, a peninsula, what now is sort of a garden area with just kind of some columns at the end. We're gonna see in just a moment what this may and probably did look like during Herod's time. But moving down to the end of this little peninsula, you look out over the archeological ruins of, anybody wanna guess what that was? It's jutting out, looking out over the Mediterranean Sea, it was a swimming pool with a mosaic floor and mosaic tile all around the edges. It turns out it was surrounded by columns that were designed to, to facilitate sea breezes through the area. It then, turning to the right from where that picture was taken, I turned to the right and now there's this coastline, and along the coast Herod had built so that he could look out his palace windows and see this amazing site the archaeological ruins today you can kind of get the, the outline of what this was it was a huge stadium it seated between 8 and 15,000 people it was called a hippodrome and in hippodrome of course they raced hippos no, hippo is the Greek word for horse. So this is where they they raced, anyone want to guess, Ben-Hur? Chariot racing. This was a famous stadium in the ancient Mediterranean world for chariot racing. It's a quarter mile long, both directions, so you make two laps, you've gone a mile. It's, it's an incredible demonstration of how Herod, just from the ground up, built this enormous seaport, and this is what it probably looked like in its time. Looking down from the sky view, you see this jutting out into the Mediterranean Sea, the beautiful waters, the swimming pool surrounded by a colonnade, the garden area that was that original shot that we saw filled with beautiful palm trees surrounded by offices and palaces where Herod would invite his friends and people he wanted to impress to wander through these luxurious surroundings and recognizing his power, his prestige, and his importance. Herod the Great, this is one of many, many, many building projects that he had all over this part of the world. This gives us a little insight into the world that Jesus was born into and the dangers that surrounded this little family of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Because with all this wealth and prestige and increasing power that Herod had so carefully cultivated over 33 years, he did not want to give that up, not to anyone especially a new little baby born to a controversial couple. So there is that part of the story hidden within this simple phrase in the time of King Herod. And then there's this other fascinating part of the story, the star that rose in the east Now, wouldn't it be cool if we could bring today, along with our friends in Cornell, who recreated this picture of of Herod's palace, wouldn't it be cool if we could have an astrophysicist visit us today and give us some insights into the star and what might actually have happened. Wait, we have someone on staff who's an astrophysicist. (laughs) Dr. Paul Wallace is here and is gonna bring us a moment of astrophysics in science. Paul, welcome, and thank you for your brilliance.
1: Hi. I'm Professor Pastor Paul. Welcome to FBCD Science Minute. What was the Christmas star? Was it a one-off miracle? Was it a UFO? Was it a literary trope? Or was it scientific? Is there a scientific explanation? I don't claim to have the answers, but I'd like to share with you three intriguing possibilities. Stars are born and stars die. Small stars live a long time and die quietly, but large stars, say 15 times more massive than the sun and up, live fast and they die young. In terrific explosions known as supernovas, what you see in the picture here is Supernova 1987A, that bright star right near the middle. It appeared in January 1987, in the Large Magellanic Cloud, which is a satellite galaxy of our own very own dear Milky Way, supernovas have been recorded throughout history. One supernova recorded in China, Korea and Palestine, was observed on February 4th uh, I'm sorry, in February of 4 BC. Now of course, they didn't call it that in 4 BC, but it, it occurred at four in, in what we call today 4 BC and it happened in the constellation of Aquila and would have risen in the east like all other stars. So maybe the star of Christmas is a dying star. Next slide, closer to home, comets visit us occasionally. This image shows comet hale in 1997. Some of you will remember this extraordinary visitor to the inner solar system, I sure do. It was bright enough to be seen even from the centers of large cities. Halley's Comet is the most familiar. It visits about every 76 years. So a little math tells us that Halley's came by in 12 B.C., a bit too early. Unlikely for that to be the explanation. But many other comets have periods of thousands, even tens of thousands of years. So it's very hard to make any definitive statement about comets. But in general... At the time, in the ancient time, uh, in, in, you know, in first century, uh, comets were viewed mostly as bad omens, and so that's kind of a vote against the comet possibility. Lastly, astrologers, like the magi, and they were astrologers, would have been exceedingly interested in the planets. The word planet means wanderer, and so it it applies nicely because the planets move along a against the backdrop of the stars they glide along a track called the ecliptic and occasionally they pass each other when this happens it's called a conjunction and conjunctions happen regularly and are very predictable but not all conjunctions are equally notable one highly significant conjunction occurred in august of 3 bc when jupiter and venus the two brightest objects in the sky after the sun and moon came within a fraction of a degree of one another. This happened in the constellation of Leo, which is of course a regal constellation, very near the bright star Regulus, which of course refers to uh, royalty, regal, Regulus. This image behind me is a little dark for the room. If we could turn the lights down, you'd see it better, but it shows the sky as it appeared, looking east-northeast from Palestine at 5 a.m. on August 12th, 3 B.C. Was the Christmas star a planetary conjunction? We have no conclusive evidence for these or other theories, but something, something happened in the sky back then, and I invite you to explore this topic on your own. But remember, friends, please check your sources. I'm Professor Pastor Paul. This has been FBCD Science Minute, (laughs) made possible by viewers like you. Thank you.
0: With all the unknowns, this we do know, something happened that changed everything. And our lesson for today that emerges beautifully out of this passage is that within all the strangeness and messiness, these wise people in a whole different part of the world recognized that God was doing something new something significant, and they wanted to be a part of it. We'll continue to explore this part of Matthew chapter two, including what comes next that is pretty frightening, traumatic, and has a profound impact on what happens with Jesus, and also, I think, his sensitivity to another part of our human family. But for today, we'll focus on these fascinating visitors from the Far East who gave themselves to a journey of faith and hope and love and presented as a part of their journey these gifts. We don't know how many magi there were. Probably they came in a large caravan with lots of people as well as protection. We simply refer to them as three people because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And besides this actual photo we have of them, we have no other real record of what they looked like or really exactly where they came from. What we do know is their journey stands as a powerful reminder of our own journey that there's something significant God is calling us to. There is something that God is doing in the world that involves you and me and we're called to get up and move and let our lights shine so that God can use us to be a part of this grand story. We'll talk also next week about some other dangling, interesting questions, like, for example, why are there so many Marys in the New Testament? There's Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the sister of Martha, Mary Magdalene. There are all kinds of Marys, and it, interestingly, probably has to do with Herod the Great. We'll find out more about that next week. So you have to come back and join us. As a part of our star-gazing, star-learning, star-following, also is a star-giving. As we share together in celebrating the Lord's Supper, you also, like our children earlier, will receive a star. And this star, we hope, will guide you for this year. So as we move into our time, of remembering and celebrating the Lord's Supper, we invite you also to take seriously the star that you receive. Kristen's going to share a little more about that. In-